You're listening to The Reality Show, hosted by Dan Rutstein, president of immersive tech company, Laduma. Each episode delves deep into the power and potential of immersive technology in business, entertainment, or sport, now and in the future. So welcome back to the Reality Show podcast. Now, I was very clear that this is not meant to be an advert for Laduma. Um, the first two episodes, we have had interesting guests, one from another company and one who is never done any work with our company. But I do work for an immersive tech company, so it seems a little silly not to actually speak to somebody from that company, particularly when they are our resident tech genius. So I've got with me here in Atlanta the CTO of Laduma, Jonas Helgren, who's going to talk to me about immersive tech, but not just about Laduma. We're going to talk about immersive tech more generally. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dan. I'm uh, happy to be here. Thank you for that very flattering intro. So uh, let's start off. In the background, we've got some immersive tech running. So let's just start off with this. What's going on behind us? Uh, Here at MBAS, we're doing um, an immersive uh, experience for uh, Microsoft's um, industry group. Um, So they're responsible for marketing specifically to... Uh, different industries, government, healthcare, um, retail, manufacturing, automotive, um, and presenting to those industries the solutions that Microsoft brings. So we are presenting them a uh, a unique way of bringing some of their marketing content to these events um, and getting um, more eyeballs on their content and on um, the direction that Microsoft is taking. So th- this comes down to the whole point of what is what is immersive tech and why are people using it? So. You know, we're in a sort of meeting room here, I think it's like an executive lounge type area, and I look around and there are some screens playing normal content, and then here we are in our corner with immersive projection telling the story in a different way. For you as somebody who works in this space, what's the point of it? It started with uh, our clients as well, Um, when we bring them into the processes. um, Whether it be um, immersive technology, AR or VR, um, understanding the, the content and the technology behind it and making sure that it fits a very clear marketing directive and doing it for more than just the sake of a cool factor or something that's different. I mean, obviously that helps, especially when you're bringing new marketing concepts um, to a very traditional format, right? I mean, Microsoft has never done anything like this before. And so people are obviously attracted to it just A, because it's brand new, something that they've never seen before. But it can also um, help you create and form content and make people think differently about the, uh, the videos or the, the content that's behind it. Um, I, mean, I keep using the word content quite a bit. And probably one of the things we need to work on better in the industry is defining what content means. Um, and obviously, it's all context-based. So whether it's uh, video content or whether it's uh, 3D uh, objects or animations or scenes, um, all of that needs to be kind of wrapped together and then put in front of the client as, hey, these are the tools that you have um, in addition to the traditional 2D formats that you guys have had um, for video delivery. So, so I'm, I'm going to interrupt you with tools because 
So we've been to meetings together where we're talking to prospective clients about why immersive technology. And you always say the same thing, which I can't quite remember, but you talk about hammers and nails and VR. So <laughs> yeah, VR. whatever it is, tell me your yeah, the, VR hammer the, nail analogy. Yeah, the uh, VR is not the, the hammer to solve all the nails that are out there for business problems. And we love to go in and we, we start a lot of conversations and say, what is the actual business problem that you are trying to accomplish? Um, it's very you know, kind of broad strokes, uh, blue sky thinking, but it helps us kind of narrow down and make sure that the campaigns that we run are actually more successful because if we can always make sure that our um, our experiences are being led towards a uh, an overall business objective that the entire company might be working towards, then that really helps us make sure that we're generating the right uh, type of experience uh, that will be successful. So, so you know, there is a whole thing where a lot of people will Google VR company and then approach a VR company, not necessarily our company, but whoever comes first in the rankings and say, right, you know, I need to do some VR for my project. And they go down a route that could be headsets. And that's not necessarily always the right route, even though obviously you can do amazing things in VR headsets. So what for you is is immersive technology in that in that broader sense if 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 vr headsets are not nails and not hammers um what for you what 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 defines immersive tech for you um i think we've started defining immersive technology as um anything that scales beyond um maybe two or three screens and is meant to basically transport somebody from the space that they're currently in and make them think differently about the space that they're looking at, right? I mean, we're not going to, I mean, like, for example, here at Microsoft, they're, you know, we didn't change the entire executive room into, you know, these individual um, industry experiences. We're taking a corner of that room, but the fact that we're making them think differently about what they're looking at and we're taking them maybe to conceptually to a uh, uh, you know, a factory, or we're taking them into an OR, or we're taking them onto the track of a Formula One um, uh, race uh, track. There's that is the idea of immersive is to transport somebody to another space, and obviously the mediums that immersive technology can use is where you start start to drawing the lines of okay, well, is it a VR headset, or whether we're using projection or LED screens, or or whatever else might might be out there. So let's let's wind back a bit here. So. Actually, I'm not sure I've ever asked you this, even though we've worked together for nearly a year. So this would be a good getting to know you session. So what did you study at university? And then how did you get, or sorry, college, if we have to say that for our American audiences. And then how did you get into this world? Uh, so my background is actually in information security systems and, and networking, actually, was what I um, uh, majored in. Okay, or at least you didn't say philosophy. Or something I, like yeah, that, so. it, it wasn't. It's always I've I've always been a tech person, so it's always been computers and. So when you say were you one of these kids who was like taking apart computers and oh yeah yeah, yeah I mean I I was um, helping my dad um, load up tapes when I was three years old and doing IBM AS three eighty um, the I was doing uh, networking and uh, uh, imaging computers when I was five or six years old I was building computers around seven or eight. I've uh, I've owned probably at least twenty or thirty different versions of computers, all the way from as long or old as I can remember um, until now. And I've always had an attraction technology, just because it's a constantly changing industry. 
um, you can learn something and it won't be the same the next day. And for some reason, for some crazy reason, I've been attracted to that um, chaos that is created in that. Um, mainly because it's it's always exciting. It's always new. There's always something to to learn about. Um, you know, some people might might look at that and say that's absolutely ludicrous. You can never specialize, or you know, if you start to learn something um, that's always changing, then how do you keep up and how do you, uh, you know, keep pace with um, the next greatest thing? Um, and I think that's where I've kind of helped specialize over the years um, between um, Laduma and other and other companies is understanding the broader strokes of where the industries are going towards and where technology has taken us and seeing what the possibilities are. Um, knowing enough to be dangerous, I guess, but also enough to have enough of a sense of bringing other smart people into the room and implementing those kind of blue sky ideas with enough feasibility and uh, uh, traction that is actually makes those projects plausible is probably where I've, I've seen the most um, impact from my perspective in, in these roles in these companies. So. so obviously you are not insignificantly younger than me, but still, when you were studying at university and college, some of the, you know, the accessibility of AR through AR kit and the technology driving that didn't exist then. Headsets weren't anywhere near as accessible and I know there's an argument that they're still not as accessible but certainly you know a lot of people can sit at home gaming in them you weren't at university so obviously when you began to study tech as a serious person none of the stuff that you're working on existed uh yes and no um I mean VR has actually been around since the 80s actually um being silicon graphics was pioneering some of the earliest um environments of, of VR and AR and some of those those concepts obviously somebody had to come up with that idea and that idea has been around for a while and waiting for the right technology to then bring it to market has always been a challenge not just for for vr or ar for example but across tablets and laptops and things like that everyone's been dreaming big from the get-go but getting that silicon down on that chip that's small enough to actually bring these ideas to life is now we're at a very exciting time where that technology's finally kind of caught up. Yeah, exactly. So sorry, I, I wasn't yeah. saying that no one had invented. No, no, no. no. Like, I just, I just, you know, I run a tech company, Jonas. Well, you know, no, I do no, know I, some I, things, but no, no, you're right. But in terms of that accessibility of it and the things that you can do with the technology, obviously, has completely changed and is continuing to, and will do in the next three to five years in terms of the things that not just our company can do, that any company can do. Uh, yeah, very much so. Um, the yeah, I think the excitement that is, in addition to the hardware and the software that's that is available now, as opposed to you know twenty years ago, um, it's also the fact that there's so much sharing and um, I want to say socialization of the groups that are responsible for creating this content, um, in partnership both with like Facebook groups and 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 Google groups and things like that. We've we've been able to make partners in the industries that allowed us to, you know, share ideas and bring to market concepts that, you know, would have taken years of investment and time we can now do in weeks or even days um, because now, once again, the technology is kind of caught up with us. So now we're able to easily prototype out like really exciting concepts that can help, you know, we can do uh, a reality check of is this something that's actually going to work without having to take the long time and, and involvement to get it out to market. Yeah. 
What have you seen? I mean, I think like most tech companies, we've got a channel on Slack where we talk about other people's stuff, either in a jealous way or an admiring way, or as a, oh, we could do a version of that way. And I think every company does the same, and they should. So for you, what's something you've seen recently where you think, wow, that really is very clever, good use of technology? Uh, I... I don't know how you want to define recently. Um, I'll give you, for example... Since what? I last interviewed you for a podcast. <laughs> so you've got a broad width. Okay. So okay. Ever. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a great uh, great constraint. Um, I think about five years ago, um, we were doing a project for um, another customer. Um, and uh, we had seen the work of Moment Factory. Um, they're based out of Canada. Um, and they... Um, put on a spectacular projection mapping show that it was a combination of both 2D content into and transforming um, uh, a space that was not set up for projection entirely. And I think that's where I think I saw the first glimpse of, you know, what um, what was possible with some of the these these concepts that we were internally kind of talking about. And so, that was a really inspiring moment, I think, that kind of set me off towards... A so, so what do you mean by, by what's possible? Uh, so, just transforming uh, a stage into a... and immersing this, this audience of six or 700 people into a completely um, transformative content experience, right? So, immersing them in what was only available at the time was 2D format video they were able to create and warp and transform and transport that audience into uh, different eras and, t and times and um, places in order to kind of uh, contextualize the content. Um, I'm trying to skirting the, the, the customers a little bit here because I don't know if we have rights to say it or not, but it was that was that moment that I felt. Yeah, you're allowed so, to say when you admire somebody okay, else's okay. tech. <laughs> um, but no, but I think that's right because obviously we talk about this a lot, it's all about storytelling and it's all about transforming something where you can put somebody in an experience they wouldn't be able to see without the technology. So uh, the boundaries are being pushed on that by obviously lots of companies, including ours, I like to think. What, what technological breakthrough are you waiting for that's gonna be able to change how everybody can work? Uh, I believe um, a lot of people are waiting for a lot of the photogrammetry and volumetric video um, on the content capturing side, but then on the projection slash display side, I think we're still waiting for some advancements in projection technology, um, light field displays and things like that to help us give a better um, new ways of visualizing this volumetric video and, and volume or photogrammetry that we've ab we're able to capture now, being able to visualize it better without having to be rel so reliant on fixed or forced perspectives. Um, yeah. so, so it's, it's so the sort. Of it's, I mean, it's kind of like the hologram. I mean, so it's I the mean, Princess Leia technology, but without a screen uh, and without forced perspective. 
Yeah, I, I mean, yes, yes, sorry. From, you're from, from Obi Wan Kenobi was sitting behind, I think, and still, well, no, he was missing. But whoever it was, you could theoretically see Princess Leia from all angles. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, that's that. That is yes. That is the the angle that we're 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 still kind of waiting for. So yeah, there's there's been some you know impressive scientific papers out there that have you know indicated that some of these concepts are possible. But there was something in Turkey is, I feel like I read about recently. Yes, yeah, there was um, a group that had started doing, um, uh, was that the light field display one? But yeah, I, yeah it it, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was exciting. I mean, a lot of scientific papers out there are, you know, they, the concept is now possible or whatever, but bringing it to market is always where, you know, I would say 90% of these technology breakthroughs kind of stumbles because taking it off of paper and putting it into practice are two different things. Yeah, and finding a way of monetizing that model. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, because you know, I can't remember when I first was told, when I was in a non-technical role working across different sectors, people get talking about the year of VR. I think the first year of VR that I certainly remember was, I think, 2014. So, obviously, lots is happening in VR, but whatever this year of where everything's going to transform, I'm not sure it's happened yet. Yeah, it's... Um it's it's taken a while for us to get there. Um, so do you think, so hopefully none of our customers or any potential customers of any tech company are going to take this personally, but do we? Do you think the customer is informed? Obviously some are, but is there, when people think they want this stuff, do people really understand what it is, what's possible, how much it costs? You know, have we got an informed consumer base for technology companies? Uh, now, I would say we, we've learned, everyone's learned quite a bit. Um, I don't think we've sat down in a meeting and presented an idea and somebody taken aback at, at costs or timelines that we've had to put in front. So I feel like there is a bit of education um, as far as the business side of this. There's still lots of, lots of education around content and um, understanding the creative process behind imagining what is possible with these new mediums, which is where I think companies like Laduma have to come in and that's the value that we bring is some insight into making sure that we translate these marketing messages or business objectives into a real cohesive story that is utilizes the medium in the right in the right way. Yeah. Now um, I use bits of VR and AR in my everyday life. Probably the same as an average person in their <clears throat> late 30s, early, a bit older than that. Given that you're a tech person and you've been obsessed with taking things apart and playing with computers since however young, how much in your real life, so away from you know client work, how much immersive technology are you involved in in your personal life, social life? Uh, I, I do enjoy switching off when I get out of the office, and so beyond, uh, but in the office, though, even outside of client work, I mean, we utilize a lot of um, immersive technologies, whether it be projection mapping and um, like our uh, symphony products of, of large format video displays to start bringing concepts and ideas to, to life internally. Um, working through workflows and processes internally, having those formats at hand make it a lot easier to 
visualize something that you can't put it on a 16 by 9 or 16 by 10 you know format so uh, we utilize that as much as we can um, and we're trying to build as many tools as well to help us leverage that because once you have a, a format or a medium that you need to build towards you have to make sure you have tools that can output that so building whether it be you know kind of our conference room experiences and things like that we're we're so so quote unquote dog fooding those technologies in our office dog food dog fooding yeah it's it's the concept for uh, before a company takes it to market making sure that they 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 test the food themselves right they they actually make sure that it's actually it's it's probably a very unflattering term but I mean I've, I've referenced that a few times so hopefully it's not un, too unflattering so actually that wasn't the that was, a, that was a good answer to a different question the question that I was asking is like when Jonas Hellman goes home at night is he like VR gaming and Pokemon going and all that sort of stuff so how much of the tech do you play no it's good I like that answer no, no, because no, no. yeah, that was sorry, a different no, question I, I, but I in your personal question. life. Are you uh, are you deep into immersive tech stuff, or actually, are you not? Uh, I'm actually uh, not so much. When I leave when I leave the office and when I'm at home, it's I'm a, I'm a pretty hardcore PC gamer, so I play a lot of Dota two, uh, and occasionally I'll fire up the old Xbox and play some Halo or Assassin's Creed. Um, but not with a headset. But not with a headset. That's right. So you're not being no, judged. You don't no, have to. it's just because yeah, those 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 uh, game platforms and things like that have just not quite expanded to where I'm utilizing those on a, on a daily or weekly basis. Yeah. So, so Jonas, we've hired some people recently, recent graduates. Um, how impressed are we are you with the quality of people being churned out at university? Because they're, they're learning things that didn't exist when you were studying. So how do you see the, the skill levels of, of graduates and what they can bring to a company like ours? I've been, uh, I don't want to say underwhelmed, um, but the, we're, because you're so, um, you're, because anyone is almost able to pick up uh, Unity, download it, and within two hours of a YouTube video, crank out these projects that are readily available. Um, it's hard to gauge, you know, everyone who submits to us a developer application has Unity experience because they've downloaded, you know, and done a trial of, or a, a demo of a bouncing ball falling downstairs and things like that. Um, it's really where we're, it's hard to gauge this uh, from an educational standpoint, but the concepts behind Unity and Unreal um, and understanding game worlds and game environments is what we're really starting to test on because that is where if you understand how the tool works and how you how the environment is configured, then you're able to do vastly more impressive things more rapidly than you know downloading an AR tutorial and you know often running it within four or five hours. Which I mean, it's those are still. We, we require that everyone understands how to do that from the get-go and be able to do that without necessarily having to Google or Stack Overflow every every single step of the way. But um, yeah, we're, we're looking for that kind of that deep knowledge of how the Unity game engine works or how the Unreal game engine is, is structured so that we can um, do non-traditional things. So are you saying... Uh, which you're more than entitled to do so, that the sort of the reality of the workplace and just how you actually make projects work is very different to the theory of this technology. Uh, yes. Um, it's, it's, there's this very fine line of what people are 
coming out of school and what their expectations are for what this industry looks like versus actually getting hired and being required to perform functions that are um, both creative in nature and also being able to understand some of these more complex technology um, uh, for whether it be projection mapping or other immersive tech stuff um, that we've been we've been doing. Yeah. So actually, look, you know, you're CTO of a company that does, and we've deliberately positioned ourselves in the marketplace as doing a bit of everything. So you know, we do AR, we do VR, we do immersive projection, um, and actually, as part of some of our projects, a whole load of other stuff as well. So what sort of skill set mindset do you need to be successful in the world of immersive tech? given it's so fast moving and new technologies being developed on the hardware side all the time. What sort of what, what sort of skill set do you do you think that you have that makes you successful, but also that you look for in in potential colleagues or current colleagues who are doing well? Uh, probably being able to reverse engineer um, creative concepts. So uh, when somebody says, okay, well, this is what we want to do, is we want to transform this statue into whatever it might be. We want to make the statue dissolve into uh, you know, a puddle or something like that. So you start thinking through the actual steps required to make that happen, all the way from the actual physical locations of equipment to the connections required, then back to the software, and then back to the content, and understanding how that workflow is assembled um, at a very basic level is is um, just the, the bare minimum of what I expect our colleagues to be able to understand. Um, then they, each individual person will then specialize in that area of that pipeline with still that end goal still always in mind. Um, and when we hire people on or when we bring people in, we, we definitely bring them as close to the full pipeline as possible so that we can get them exposed to the whole process of, and, and obviously every, every creative experience is different, right? So you can't always expect that they're going to understand it, but having one or two very different creative experiences, um, uh, I'm not necessarily gonna put them in the room, same room with the client, but they're gonna be involved in the meeting immediately after the meeting with the client because that's how close they need to be basically to, to the project. At which point then we start backing people off and then saying, okay, now you can specialize in your content creation or rendering or uh, environmental setup or game engine design or even you know projection mapping setup of, of projectors or selection of cabling even. So Yeah. No, you know, we are sort of one part hardware, one part software, one part Sort of digital transformation agency. You know, we play across a lot of different areas. And again, there's one thing that you used to say in meetings about, you know, the magic is when you bring the technology together with the creativity. That's the hard bit. Because the tech is something that's out there. Obviously, creative ideas are wonderful, but it's how you marry the two and make them work is something that I know you're. A big proponent of yes, I'm very very passionate, and I refer to it. That's where the expensive bit happens, um, mainly because that's usually where not necessarily the the largest unknowns are, but that's where a lot of the um, engineering magic usually happens. Is where we start to take these uh, you know scenes or video content and things like that, and marry it up with that 
technology um, output that we've we've created. So, um, and that's been that's been a, a learning process that I'm sure it'll that part will become less special as more tools become available and as we write our own tools internally that help expedite that process. But right now, that's something that we do certainly focus on. Yeah. So given that's the hard part, the expensive part, um, of all the projects you've worked on, which one of you are you most proud of? Uh, I would have to say, we. I keep going back to um, the event we did back in January with HIMSS. Um, so HIMSS is a healthcare trade show yeah. that took place in, in Florida. And what, what did what did we do that was so, sorry, what did Laduma do? What did we do? Uh, that was so clever. Uh, it was the definitely this the scale um, of projection mapping um, and the content and the timelines that we had put together um, and the amount of work that went into it. I mean, we and that was also probably the first project where we have owned as much of the of the A to Z project. Um, more so than we probably um, are comfortable doing because we were dealing with the, the trade show booth and all that stuff. But that was all part of the experience, right? So we had to sit as close to that as possible. But, um, you know, from, from trust design to um, projector configurations, um, and we had uh, tried to remove ourselves from the parts where we didn't necessarily specialize in as much as possible. But the experts that we brought in around that just weren't answering the questions that we thought were relevant, which ended up, I think, paying in huge dividends for us as far as both the knowledge that we walked away from and also the accomplishments of the technology that we weren't able to were able to develop um, in uh, in answer to those technology questions that we had created. So there's, I think, the image that's the background for the podcast logo or we certainly will make it this the case for this particular episode so people can reference what we're talking about. So this was 22 screens? Uh, we had 24 projectors. Um, we were rendering off of uh, five different servers. We had, uh, we were, the, the number that we throw around is around, we were rendering two billion pixels per second. And we, t- and we turned what was basically a white, plain trade show stand into an interactive forest, a uh, rescue, a helicopter rescue of a stranded, injured climber, and then some very cool logos flying yeah. around. And, and, the, and the transitions, and all of that really um, was visionary, I would say, to, be, to begin with. Um, we hadn't found examples of that um, that had worked uh, from, a, from a concept standpoint. We were looking on... YouTube and different forums and things like that for examples of work like this and we just hadn't found it. We knew it was possible, we just didn't know how much work it was going to take us to get there. So there have been sort of multi-million immersive projection of this style done in as sort of museum exhibits and so on, but these are like three months exhibits with huge budgets. We have full installations, but never yeah. a portable installation set up in, two, set up in three days and then taken down in, in one. Um, I mean, that was that was groundbreaking. Yeah, very good. Well, that seems groundbreaking is a good place to end a discussion about immersive technology. So, Jonas Helgren, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Dan.
Thank you for listening to The Reality Show. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can also find us on social media at Reality Show Pod. Thank you.